All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Heather Vale, and you're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Joining me is Gina Marie Strong, Director of Development for the Shade Tree of Las Vegas. The Shade Tree is a 24-hour accessible shelter designed to meet the needs of domestic violence and human trafficking survivors and their children. They're currently holding a luggage drive, and their annual Once Upon a Gala fundraiser is also coming up. Gina, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Heather. Thanks so much for having me. So... We know that the Shade Tree has a shelter, but besides that, what else does the Shade Tree do in the Las Vegas community? Thanks for asking. Yes, we're much more than a shelter. We're definitely that emergency refuge for domestic violence victims, human trafficking victims, their children, and their pets. But when our clients come to us, you know, in their roughest moments of their lives, we obviously give them that emergency shelter and food right away and the clothing and the things they need. And then they begin a customized case plan with us. We determine what they need from us. And then we have them here for approximately 90 to 120 days, depending upon their needs. And we work with them on that case plan so that they can leave here. And the goal is that they leave with a secure job and then safe and stable housing that they're able to sustain. So they can really leave here and ensure that they're not going to get back into another abusive situation and they can have a healthy, happy, safe life. Nice. Okay. So you mentioned that it's refuge for the victims, their children, and pets. Now, I know that a lot of shelters accept children because often, you know, a woman has to escape that kind of situation with a child, but they don't all accept pets. So why did you decide to include pets? Yeah, that's correct. We were actually one of the first domestic violence shelters in the country to be able to accept pets through our partnership with Noah's Animal House. Our um, former executive director and board member saw the need and she actually had a client who wanted to come stay here and they had a cat and we didn't have a place for them. So out of the kindness of her heart and her connections, she established Noah's Animal House. And so they're a separate 501c3 that sits on our property and they house all the pets, dogs, cats, snakes, guinea pigs, you name it. Um, that way our clients who are fleeing an abusive situation can bring their pets with them and they still take care of them. And then when they leave and they have that safe, stable housing, they can take the pets with them. That's amazing. So when was the Shade Tree first started? We first started in 1989, actually through a junior league project and through a lady who was a she passed away a couple of years ago, but her name was Reverend Deacon Bonnie Polly, and she was at a church here and they saw the need for a refuge for women and children. So they started us in a basement at Catholic Charities, and then we were able to get our own building through a, fa- a foundational grant through the Reynolds Foundation. And so we opened here in 2000 at the shelter that we're currently still at on Owens in Maine. How many clients can you house at the shelter? 
house up to about 260 based on the amount of beds we have, but our current capacity is less than that just due to staffing. And we've increased our services and our case management so much that it's more about, you know, client care and really being able to ensure their clients have the clinical needs they need, the mental health help they need, the victim services that they need. So right now we have about 140 clients and we've gone up within the last few weeks up to about 160, 170. So that's kind of where we like to sit with our current funding and our current staffing. Wow. Okay. So obviously human trafficking and domestic violence are both very serious issues, very important How big is the need in Southern Nevada for providing services for victims of those situations? Unfortunately, it's it's really high. And we rank number four in the nation in human trafficking. And it's, you know, something we don't love talking about, but it's happening here. And so we have definitely seen an increase in need for that. When we were originally established, we didn't really have that issue where we didn't help those victims. But we obviously in the last, you know, 10 or so years have seen that increase tremendously. We in 2019 served about 1500 clients. And just this past fiscal year, which just ended July 1st, from 2022 to 2023, we served 4500 clients. And that includes human trafficking, domestic violence, and as well as some women and children that are experiencing an economic crisis as well. So we do help the unsheltered population when we have the beds available. Okay. So often victims of domestic violence or victims of human trafficking don't know where to turn or where to go for help. So how do the clients hear about you and find out about your services? A lot of people hear about us from other partners in the community. We work really closely with some of the other nonprofits um, who are doing you know, similar or adjacent work to what we're doing. We also receive quite a few referrals from Metro. They'll come and bring clients right to our door. We receive clients from the hospitals. They might call us if they have a survivor there, you know, first responders. So it kind of just varies. But we also take walk-ins. Um, they can reach us through our email info at the shadetree.org. We have a crisis hotline that they can call 24 hours a day. Our clients that are experiencing homelessness, we do have limited times for intake for them. But as far as domestic violence victims and human trafficking victims, it we're a 24-7 shelter. So however they can reach us, if they walk up to the gate or if they call or if they're referred by one of our service providers or you know partners, we're going to help them. Nice. Okay. So I mentioned that you're currently holding a luggage drive. Why are you looking for luggage donations specifically? We're asking for luggage right now because when our clients come to us, like I said, they come in their very worst moments. And most of the time they're fleeing with sometimes just the clothes on their back, sometimes just what they can grab. Sometimes they do pack a bag. We have some info on our website about packing, you know, an emergency type bag. But oftentimes they're coming to us with whatever they can 
you know, shove in a backpack or in a plastic bag. And then when they stay here, they accumulate quite a bit of things because of the generosity of our community. We're able to give them, you know, hygiene products and we're able to give them clothes and stuff for their children. We just had a back to school drive. So the kids get lots of things. And then when they leave here, because we didn't have a lot of luggage in our facility, they were leaving with all their items in, in trash bags or in plastic bags. And it broke my heart. And it really just all of our staff, just you know, whatever we can, we'll, we'll bring in our own backpack to give to them. So we thought, you know, let's let's add a little more dignity to our clients leaving our program and starting their new lives and make sure that they're leaving with a nice suitcase or a nice backpack or a duffel bag. A lot of our clients, too, don't have vehicles, so they're taking public transportation or they're riding the bus or taking an Uber. And so we really want to make things as easy as possible for them when they when they leave here. Yeah, that's fantastic. So if someone listening wants to help out with the luggage drive, where can they drop off the luggage? We would love that. We're accepting donations by appointment only just because of the nature of our facility and we're trying to keep our clients safe. We do ask that donors make an appointment so they can email us at donations at theshadetree.org or if they go to our website, which is theshadetree.org, they can click on donate goods and they can make an appointment to drop off. And then you can just put in the comments section, you want to donate luggage or we're taking adult backpacks or duffel bags. Anything on working wheels is definitely really welcome, but we can take some other items as well. We ask for new or gently used. And then, yeah, when you have your appointment, you'll just come down. Uh, the security will let you in. You'll drop off your donation. If you'd like a donation receipt, you just tell us what the value of the donation is. And if anybody's interested in making a really large donation, like a group wants to get together and, you know, donate 30 items or, you know, you have a company has a bunch of backpacks they want to donate for the adults. We're happy to, you know, take pictures and share on social media, small donations too. We're happy to thank you um, publicly for the donation because it's so important that we get these items to our clients as soon as possible so that no one has to leave here, you know, with their stuff in a trash bag anymore. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Now tell us about the Once Upon a Gala fundraiser that you've got coming up as well. We're so excited to be hosting Once Upon a Gala once again. We hosted it last year at Zook Nightclub at Resorts World, and it was a huge success. And so we're having it there again. It is Thursday, October 12th in the nightclub. And it's, you know, I've been calling it an ungala lately because it's a dress up night for sure. There is, you know, a moderate ticket price, but it is a really fun evening of mingling and network and celebration and music and fun. And it's not a kind of seated, you know, look at look at a screen all all evening long or hear from one MC the whole night. It's a much more kind of fun party vibe. And Zook Nightclub is so great for that because it's, you know, a nightclub, but we're yeah. there earlier. We're there at 530. <laughs> so it's definitely going to be an amazing evening. If anybody wants to join us, they can go to the shadetree.org. And at the top, there's a button right now. It says Once Upon a Gala. You can click on that. We're actually already sold out of booths for 10. They went really fast. I think everybody that bought a booth for 10 was there last year. And so they knew to get those booths quick. But we still have VIP booths for six. And then we have seated tickets. And then something really fun we're doing is we sold out last year. And 
a lot more people wanted to come. They wanted, you know, they were like, oh no, you're sold out. We really want to come. So this year we're doing something new and we created standing room only tickets for a much lower ticket price. And so if you're not sure about spending, you know, the the full amount to kind of come and have a reserved seat, just come and buy a standing room only ticket and get to mingle. You know, it still includes food and still includes beverage, entertainment, everything. And it's more of just like, standing at a high top and mingling rather than a, you know, seated booth night, but it's still going to be an amazing experience. Yeah, that's a great idea to get more people in there having fun and supporting Mm -hmm. a really good cause. So you mentioned Thursday, October 12th, it all gets underway at 530, you said? Yeah, so we have a secret garden soiree, which is essentially our VIP cocktail hour. That's from 530 to 7. So that is a little bit higher of a ticket price if you'd like to join us for that. Otherwise, the main gala event starts at 7 and it's from 7 to 10. And all of the tickets and all the booths include unlimited food, beverage, dancing, a couple of really fun experiences. And then if you'd like to stay and and go to the nightclub at 1030, you're welcome to your entries included. Yes, they can make a whole evening of it. Wow, that's awesome. All right. So are you having a silent auction again this year? We are. We're having a silent auction. We hope to have a live auction as well. And last year, it was, we had some amazing packages and we we're already starting to plan this year. We've got, you know, Golden Knights tickets and golf and all the great things that people like to see at silent and live auctions. We have a couple of really cool VIP experiences for the live auction. So I will have that live a few days prior to the gala. So if you're unable to make the gala, you can still contribute by donating um, to the silent an auction and that'll be live on our website a few days prior to the gala nice okay and of course anything related to the vegas golden knights is now much more valuable than it used to be (laughs) right yeah absolutely (laughs) absolutely so with these events it must take a lot to put them on are you looking for any volunteers to help out as well yeah, we are. We're always looking for volunteers to help us the shelter. And then for that night, we need setup volunteers and then volunteers to help us with check-in. Um, if anyone's interested in volunteering, they can email us at volunteer-coordinator at theshadetree.org. And if that's too confusing, you can go to our website um, at theshadetree.org and there's a volunteer button and you can fill it out and let us know if you're interested in the shelter volunteer opportunity. We always need help serving meals and sorting donations because the community is so generous and we get so many things, you know, including hopefully some more luggage here soon. We need help sorting those donations. And then if you'd like to experience the gala, but you know, can't quite afford the ticket price, you want to come volunteer. We have some opportunities for that as well. Okay, awesome. I'm sensing a pattern here. The shadetree.org is where you can find almost anything you want to find out about the shade tree. (laughs) And when does the luggage drive end? You know, that's a great question. We're not really going to stop it. We're just going to see how it goes. And we're going to make sure right now we have 140 clients, including the kids. 
So we're going to make sure we have enough for all of our current clients. And then we'd love to get a stockpile together. Um, we are limited on space, but as new clients come in, which they come in, you know, daily, we want to be able to have enough for them. So we're going to keep this going for quite a while until we're, you know, filled to the brims with luggage. And then we'll kind of wean back. And then obviously, by the time, you know, November rolls around, we're going to have some other needs winter wise. So we always update our donations wish list. Um, and that's on our website as well. And it's seasonal. So whenever our needs change of our clients or, you know, of the shelters, we update that. And so people can go and check that out and they can see what we need at that current time. Okay. So for example, in winter, it might be winter coats. Yeah, exactly. Thicker socks, winter coats, pants versus shorts, more blankets, you know, hat, winter hats, things like that, gloves, all that's going to be needed in the winter for sure. But our facility is, you know, since it is older, we just don't have a lot of room. So we just keep, you know, we love, we love when people donate, but we love when you donate seasonally so that we can make sure that we have enough what the clients need. And obviously right now we're still needing summer items and in luggage and food is such a big need for us too. We, we serve three meals a day to all of our clients and snacks. It comes out to about 8,000 meals a month. So whenever someone can donate any kind of bulk food item, snacks, prepackaged snacks, pasta, sauces, things that are easily made for a large amount of people, that's so helpful. Okay, awesome. Good to know. So what exactly is Shade Tree Day? So we got surprised and so lucky. A gentleman in the community named Joel Scott, he decided to host his birthday fun uh, and host a party and host a fundraiser for us out of the kindness of his heart. So we, on Friday night, a bunch of us were there celebrating him, raising money for the Shade Tree. And he surprised us with a proclamation from Mayor Carolyn Goodman declaring Tuesday, August 8th as the Shade Tree Day. So we all wore pink. We provided a barbecue lunch for our clients and pink cookies for our clients and staff. And we just, you know, are so proud of the work we're doing, obviously, and just encourage those donations to keep coming in so that we can continue to serve more and more clients as the need in our community continues to grow. Okay, perfect. So you've mentioned the shadetree.org a few times. That's where listeners could find out more information about the shade tree. They can get involved. They can get tickets to Once Upon a Gala, right? Everything happens right there on the website. Absolutely. All right. So theshadetree.org is the place to go if you want to attend Once Upon a Gala. Again, that's happening Thursday, October 12th at 7 p.m. for the main gala or ungala, as Gina likes to say, the ungala. And then if you want to attend the VIP Secret Garden Soiree, that happens right before that at 5.30. If you want to stay at the Zook Nightclub at Resorts World Las Vegas, you can stay afterwards at 10.30. That's all included. And of course, it is happening at Zook Nightclub at Resorts World Las Vegas. And they are currently looking for luggage, duffel bags, adult backpacks, any kind of luggage-related donation. So you can either find that information on the shadetree.org or email to get an appointment. Donations at the shadetree.org is the email. Donations at the shadetree.org. 
And Gina, I want to thank you so much for being here, letting us know all the great stuff that you're doing in the community and how people can get involved and help you make a difference as well. And I hope you get a lot of luggage for the clients. And I hope you have a fantastic ungala with the upcoming Once Upon a Gala once again. Thank you so much, Heather. We appreciate you. Hi, I'm Barbara, and I work for social services. On our lobby wall, there's a picture of this kid I used to work with. She's all of 17 years old, and she's on one of those missing posters. Unfortunately, that happens to a lot of our kids who don't have somebody to step up for them. They stay in foster care for years, they aren't adopted, and they age out. They either wind up in jail, or they live on the streets. The Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption works every day to find safe, permanent homes for children at risk of aging out of foster care before it's too late. I adopted two teenagers from foster care. Their outlook on life changed. If I can do a little bit to help, it's worth it. You can help too. Learn more at DaveThomasFoundation.org. This is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vale, and joining me today is Brian Walsh, student loan expert and manager of financial planning for SoFi Bank. Last year, I spoke with Brian about the potential student loan debt forgiveness announced by the government. Now he has some important updates on loan repayment, as well as tips for those starting out the higher education financing journey. Brian, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me back. So what happened with the loan repayment forgiveness that we talked about before? So in the beginning of July, the Supreme Court ruled against the broad student loan forgiveness that was positioned by the Biden administration last fall. So what that means is the 40 million or so people that were expecting either 10 or $20,000 of their federal student loans to be forgiven, that's no longer happening. So right now, what we're working through is payments on federal student loans are starting back up in October. Interest starts back up in September. And we're really working through how do we figure out the best approach related to paying back student loans, given that this hasn't happened in three and a half years now. Yeah. So what is the best strategy for dealing with this pause ending? You know, I think the best strategy is really going to depend on your unique situation. With anything personal finances, there's there's not going to be a like a one size fits all approach. But what we've been doing is taking people through a simple three step process to help figure that out. Where step number one is helping people understand what loans they have. Anytime you go three and a half years without thinking about or having to worry about something, it's really easy to forget. So we'll make sure that they can find out from the government. Here's the type of student loan we have, the balance, payment, interest rate, things like that. Step number two would be really thinking about your current financial situation and and how you can afford things because chances are the payment that you're making in February of 2020, that room in your budget has been eaten up by something else between then and now. So helping people go through their budget and figure out, okay, is there room Is there not room? And if there's not room, can we make some cuts or do we have to make some really tough decisions? And then the third piece would just be kind of combining number one and two to figure out the best approach. So 
if people can't afford to make payments, then we'll go through some different options to focus on lower monthly payments. If they can, then there's different options to save money on interest or pay it off sooner. And it really kind of brings it all together before they, they take action. Okay. What are some of those options for having lower monthly payments or for, I guess, consolidating debt into something else? So for lower monthly payments, we, we typically see one of three options for people. The first option would be a new income-driven repayment option that was announced by President Biden after the Supreme Court ruled against student loan forgiveness. So for context, income-driven repayment is where your monthly payments are capped to a certain percentage of your income. And under the new program called SAVE, that income amount is reduced, so it lowers payments. There's some subsidies for interest, which prevents loans from growing while you're making payments. And then next year, the percentage will be cut in half on undergrad loans. So when this all happens, for income-driven repayment plans for students, that's going to be, you know, overall majority, the most generous option. The second area that we typically look at would be if income-driven repayment doesn't make sense, maybe there's higher incomes that would cause higher payments. There is the potential to keep your federal student loans the way they are and maybe extend the repayment term from 10 years to maybe, let's say, 25 years, or maybe do something called graduated payments where your payments start lower and then every couple of years get bigger. And then the third option would be for borrowers who maybe want to reduce payments, they have higher incomes, maybe they have a good credit score, they could look at refinancing their federal student loans into private student loans where maybe they can get a lower interest rate, maybe they could stretch out the payment term to kind of make their payments smaller. And it really is kind of thinking those through those three options that could all be helpful to reduce the current monthly payments. Okay. So a lot of great tips there and some options for people to think about if they already have student loans that they need to pay back. Now, what about people who are just starting this journey? So parents whose kids are starting college or university or students who are paying for it themselves, what should borrowers know about financing higher education? Yeah, I think the, the great thing of student loans being front and center in the news for the last few years is it's brought a lot of attention to the fact that when you borrow money for college, paying it back isn't always going to be the most enjoyable experience. And if you borrow too much, it can really put you in a tough position. So we tend to focus on working with families to figure out how they can minimize the amount that they borrow and then also consider the income that the students can be making when they graduate. And Typically, you'll minimize the amount that you borrow by taking full advantage of your financial aid package. So free money like grants and scholarships, borrowed money through federal student loans, or even earned money like work-study type of programs, as well as considering where you go to school based on the costs and your earning potential. Because some majors are going to come out making a great salary, and it's okay for them to take on more debt, whereas other majors aren't going to have that good salary. So they need to be more cautious in taking out debt, maybe going to your school before four year, things like that. Okay. Now, even if we're putting some free money towards the whole, higher education costs a lot. So for students or parents who are concerned about being able to even afford higher education, what advice would you have? 
Yeah, I think when it comes to the cost of higher education, it's really important to look at both the costs and the benefits. Because it, as a, when a parent sees the, I don't know, the, the sticker price for room and board and tuition and all those things, it can seem shocking. But it's also important to figure out, okay, what type of financial aid am I getting? And what's that net cost going to be after financial aid? And then compare that to how much am I going to make when I graduate college? Because by and large, getting a college degree is still worth it in the U.S. just because of the higher lifetime earnings more career options, different things like that. So it really is just about being strategic based on your major to how much you borrow. For example, right or wrong, we could debate, you know, compensation for different professions, but let's say a teacher isn't going to want to borrow nearly as much money as an engineering major. So really thinking through that before you take that on, because it could then make those payments really, really hard to make once the student graduates. Okay. And is it a good idea to start paying off the loan while the student is still in school or wait until they're done and then start paying? Generally, if you can make the payments while the student's in school, that's a great idea. Because for a lot of student loans, let's say unsubsidized federal student loans or for private student loans, the interest actually starts getting charged as soon as that money is borrowed. So let's say someone borrows money when they're a freshman and it takes them five years to graduate, that loan balance would be growing those entire five years before they even graduate, start making money, and then start paying those loans back typically. So if you can even just make the interest payments throughout school, that could be a great way to save a lot of money over the long term. Okay, fantastic. You've shared a lot of great information and tips with us today, but where could people go if they wanted to find out more about the options around financing for higher education? Yeah, You can go to SoFi.com or download the SoFi app. We have tons of great free resources like articles, videos, webinars, and then we also offer complimentary access to our team of financial planners if you want to kind of hash out your own unique circumstances, ask questions, things like that. Nice. Okay. So SoFi.com is the website to go to SOFI.com, or you can download the SoFi app. Plenty of resources there that are free, educational resources, and access to financial planners. So SoFi.com. And Brian, I want to thank you so much for being here and letting us know the update on the situation and some great strategies for people to approach, whether they already have student loans or they're looking into taking out student loans in the future. So I really appreciate your time and expertise once again. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me. Every child deserves an education, yet nearly 130 million girls are excluded from the classroom worldwide. Even when girls are in school, many don't receive a quality education. This isn't just a social issue, it's economic. The World Bank estimates gender inequality costs the global economy $160 trillion. Help care ensure everyone can go back to school at care.org slash back to school. This is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vale, and I'm speaking with Michael Richmond Crum, Director of Personal Lines and Counsel at the American Property Casualty Insurance Association. We've been hearing a lot about wildfires recently, and while it might not be as big an issue if you live in the city, they're common in surrounding areas, and it's important to make sure you're prepared for the worst. Michael, thank you so much for being here today. 
Thanks for having me, Heather. I'm glad to be here. So what exactly is the American Property Casualty Insurance Association? Sure. So we're a trade organization that represents about 60% of the property casualty insurance companies around the country. So what we do is we help to facilitate information on behalf of those organizations to the public to help, you know, keep the insurance industry stable and really inform consumers where we can. Okay. So what should we do to prepare ourselves and our homes for wildfires? You know, there are a lot of sort of simple and direct things we can kind of do to help protect us from losing the most valuable asset that we have, which is often our home. The first and most important is take time to physically prepare your home and do it now if you can. One of the great steps is you can create a five-foot ignition resistance zone around your home. So you want to create an area clear of debris, five feet out from your external walls. Clean out any of your gutters, remove any flammable material or combustible items like vegetation, furniture, firewood. Just leave that sort of five-foot space so that embers can't get up against your house. The second thing I think you need to take care of is update your insurance. Make sure you have the right kind and amount of insurance coverage. Maybe you added on some new space in your home, which I think a lot of us did over the last several years. So maybe your policy is not up to date in regarding the size of your house. So get in touch with your agent or your insurance company and let them know about that shift. And the third thing I think you can do is create a home inventory. An easy way to do this is take a video of each room in your home and save that video virtually. You can basically create a written list as well if you prefer. But what you want to do is you want to go around your house with that video recorder or your phone and make a list and, and discuss the things you purchased and how much you bought them for so that you've got that information available to you if you've got to go through the claims process, unfortunately. It's better to have that info on hand so that you don't have to sit down and remember it. And I think those are some of the easier points to take away from your question. Yeah, and those are some great tips. Now, what kind of insurance actually does cover natural disasters, which sometimes we see it listed as an act of God? So does wildfire count as an act of God? Yeah, so you're basically dealing with a homeowner's insurance policy here. And what you've got is a situation where you want to insure your home, fire damage, uh, windstorm damage, that's going to damage your home. And you've got that kind of central homeowner's policy. Flood insurance can often be a separate attachment to that policy. So if you've got some concerns about flooding losses, maybe that's it. But really, it's the homeowner's policy that's going to be the central focus that you're dealing with with wildfires. Okay. Now, how can we ensure that our finances are also protected before a wildfire or another natural disaster happens? Yeah. So you want to review your coverage limits and consider maybe adding or increasing optimal coverages to that homeowner's policy that I discussed. Among these are you know, extended replacement cost coverage and building code upgrade coverage. So extended cost coverage, you know, that covers the losses that exceed your dwelling coverage limits on your homeowner's policy. So if you're rebuilding after you know, an unfortunate disaster and that rebuilding process ends up being more expensive than anticipated, it can help cover those extra costs due to shortages when everybody else is trying to rebuild. Additionally, you know, building cost upgrade coverage, maybe your home has you know, been around for a while and you kind of got grandfathered into the building codes. And if you're going to be rebuilding, you've got to kind of build up to that new building code. So that will actually help you kind of cover those extra costs. And one other additional thing that I think is important for people to understand about homeowners policies is often one of the components is what's known as additional living expense coverage. It's generally standard in most homeowners policies or condo or renters insurance policies. And that's, you know, that's a facet of your insurance policy that's going to kind of help you bridge that period of loss. Let's say you can't get into your home because of the damage. You know, it's going to provide you with some of those resources that you need to say, get a hotel or replace sort of those everyday living items that you need, clothing, 
toothbrushes, soap, that sort of stuff. So I think those are kind of the general aspects of the policy that people should be aware of. Okay. Now you talked about walking through the home and making a home inventory on video. When we have a policy and we buy new things, do we need to keep adding those things to the policy? So it's going to kind of depend on what you're buying. If you're buying something significantly expensive, then maybe that's something you want to get in touch with your agent or insurer about. But if you're sort of buying those day-to-day items, what happens is it's sort of covered under the property aspect of your homeowner's insurance policy. So there's going to be a generally a limit on your homeowner's insurance policy where you can you know, pull out resources to cover that personal property. So if you're dealing with, say, a new television that's you know moderately expensive, that's probably going to be okay. But if you're really making a significant investment in something, maybe you want to reach out to the agent and the insurer to make sure that they know that, that that's there and that you know that it's going to be covered. Okay, perfect. So where could our listeners go if they want to get more information about insuring their homes or about protection against wildfires? Sure. They can go to www.apci.org generally to find information about insurance. And you can add on a plus wildfire to that to get wildfire related specific information. Okay, nice. So apci.org is the website to go to. APCI stands for American Property Casualty Insurance, apci.org. And if you go to apci.org slash wildfire, you'll get more information about protecting yourself against wildfires specifically. And Michael, I want to thank you so much for being here and giving us some great tips and some information that I think a lot of people weren't aware of. So I really appreciate your time and sharing the information with us. Thank you. Thank you very much, Evan. Damage from wildfires is devastating and traumatic. After wildfires, dishonest contractors show up hoping to make a quick buck from your insurance claim. They'll promise anything if they can get you to sign a contract, collect your payment in advance, and ultimately do no work at all. Avoid being the victim of contractor fraud. Get estimates from at least three contractors, check references, and remember, if you didn't request it, reject it. To report fraud, call us at 1-800-TELL-NICB. This is a public service message from the National Insurance Crime Bureau. I'm Heather Vale, and this is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Joining me is Dr. Luigi Gratton, VP of Training at Herbalife, and holistic health coach Koya Webb. We all know it's important to eat fruits and veggies, but the CDC reported last year that only 1 in 10 American adults are actually eating enough. Dr. Gratton and Koya, thank you both so much for being here today. Thanks for having us. Thank you, and good morning. Good morning. So why don't people eat enough fruits and vegetables? I think a lot of people just don't know like all of the benefits and all of the resources and how you can get all of the nutrients and vitamins and minerals that you need from a plant-based diet. Right, Dr. Lee? Yeah, I would add to that, Koya, as well. You're spot on. And it's challenging. People are living in a very fast-paced world, right? Mm -hmm. Technology, a lot of labor-saving devices. Sometimes peeling a banana and chopping up some broccoli is hard for people. (laughs) They don't have the time. (laughs) So it's no excuse, but we really want to encourage more fruits and vegetables in the daily diet. Yeah. All right. So what are some ways to get more fruits and vegetables into our diets without all the hard work? Well, I personally like to incorporate a smoothie in the morning and, you know, put all like at least three fruits and at least four to five vegetables in that smoothie. And if you mask it with banana, mango, it still tastes delicious. And then I like to have a soup in the evening or even for kids, they love pizza. So you can chop up a little spinach, tomatoes. It's a cool way to get some veggies in your diet and still have it taste great. 
I couldn't agree more. It, it sounds like a book from Koya, you know, like <laughs> smoothie for breakfast, soup for dinner. That's like key. <laughs> and pizza. Don't forget and the pizza. pizza. <laughs> so Koya, how did clean eating come into your life originally? Well, originally I got my yoga teacher certification and part of our curriculum was to follow a vegetarian diet. And so that was cutting out all meat products except for fish and eggs and cheese. And so when I cut those meat products out, I felt more energy, more vitality and more mental clarity. So I was like, wow, this is amazing. So I started researching and becoming plant curious. And all of a sudden I ended up cutting out fish and eggs. And now it's 18 years later and I'm still vegan and I feel incredible. Wow, that's great. So when you say plant curious, what's that process like becoming plant curious and following it through? So plant curious is just trying different things like maybe a meatless Monday or cutting out something that maybe you don't digest well and then seeing how you feel. Every diet isn't for everyone. So it's all about just getting curious about what things feel good to you, but also making sure you're getting the nutrients and the minerals that you need to feel your best. Okay, awesome. So we've been talking about food intake, which is obviously a part of total wellness, but it's not the only part. So what are some other ways that we can keep the body healthy? I love that question. Yeah, go for it. It's great. So the top three ways I suggest are breath work, meditation, and yoga. You know, making sure you're breathing, making sure you're moving, and making sure you're taking time for stillness during your day. Couldn't agree more with you, Koya. You're spot on. So a lot of people find that it's hard to fit meditation into their lives or they don't know how to do it. They sit down, they try to meditate, and then they just find themselves thinking about all different stuff that's going on. So what's the secret to getting into that meditative state? My secret sauce personally is thinking about my happy place. So my happy place is the beach. So I just think about the beach. I see myself on the beach. And next thing you know, 30 minutes have passed and I feel a lot better. Uh, by the way, same for me. That is like my happy place right near the water. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then what about breath work? How do you fit that in on a day-to-day -day basis? Honestly, breath work, you, especially if you have children or if you have a really hard job, go to the bathroom, go to a closet, get some place you can feel peace and just start to breathe and you will feel tremendously better. So just deep breathing and then pay attention to the breath and focus on the breath coming in and out. Exactly. And you start there, but then if you can incorporate 10 to 20 minutes of breath work in your morning before you start your day, that'll help you be more focused throughout the day. Okay. And Dr. Grattan, what other ways would you recommend that we achieve holistic self-care and health? Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot there's a variety of ways. And I think Koya covered some really important points. But we know that a lot more folks are getting into plant-based eating. And so some of the challenges are getting the vitamins, minerals, and the protein, all these essential nutrients that the human body needs every single day. And that's why we're excited. We've got this new line of products called the V-Line, which is certified organic, plant-based, USDA, non-GMO, project verified, and kosher. And it offers consumers more choices when they're trying to get into a plant-based diet. So pretty exciting. Lots of different choices for different types of consumers. Nice. Okay. So where could listeners go if they want more information about self-care, about plant-based eating, or about some of the products that you just mentioned? Yeah, easy resources, herbalife.com. They can find out about some of the new lines of products, get some information, and they can even find an independent distributor. And Koya, what if listeners want to follow what you're doing and find out more tips from you? They can find me at koyaweb.com. 
All right, perfect. So Herbalife.com is the website that Dr. Grattan mentioned, H-E-R-B-A-L-I-F-E.com. And then if you want to follow Koya and find out more tips and strategies that she uses in her holistic, healthy approach, KoyaWeb.com, K-O-Y-A-W-E-B-B.com, KoyaWeb.com. And I want to thank both of you for being here today and giving us some great tips for better self-care, getting more fruits and veggies into the diet and you know, the meditative states and the breath work and all of that. Very helpful. And I appreciate both of your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You have some dough. It's lunchtime, but there's no way you would eat just dough for lunch, right? Well, the good thing is I have some cheese. Your friend has some tomato sauce. This random guy on the street has pepperoni in his backpack. If we bring all these ingredients together, we end up with something much better than any of them alone. A savory pizza for lunch. But each of us has not only different ingredients, but also different opinions coming from our different life experiences. If we bring all these experiences and all these opinions together in friendly, civil conversation, we end up with opinions and ideas that are better than any of our individual opinions before. So if we want to come up with better ideas, for a better world, what we really need are civil, civic conversations. Pizzas. It's an American thing. AmericanThing.org I'm Heather Vale, and this is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Joining me is Dr. David Morris, President of Urology Associates, and Dr. Benjamin Garmazy, an Assistant Director at Tennessee Oncology. Prostate cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer in men in the U.S., but it doesn't have to be fatal. Dr. Morris and Dr. Garmazy, thank you both so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. So how prevalent is prostate cancer in the U.S.? Oh, lifetime risk for prostate cancer is between 1 in 6 and 1 in 8 men diagnosed. Wow, that's pretty high. But with the right treatment, it's completely possible to not have to succumb to this type of cancer? Well, I think for, thankfully for most men diagnosed with prostate cancer, it's a localized disease that's managed primarily with urologists and radiation oncologists and can be curative at that time. But over the last several years, there's been an increase in men diagnosed, unfortunately, with late stage or metastatic disease at presentation. That's now about 10% of men. So you're a urologist and an oncologist who have partnered up to treat patients with prostate cancer. Why did you decide to make that partnership happen? Well, over the last 10 years, the standard of care for men with advanced and metastatic prostate cancer has really shifted. And now it's combination treatments that are leading the way. Initial combination treatments were hormone medications typically managed with a urologist. Then we started in it adding in hormone medication pills. And then lastly, the most recent trials have really focused on that combination plus additional chemotherapy or docetaxel upfront. And with those new triple therapies, including Nubeca, plus hormone therapy, plus docetaxel, we've had to create a team that can utilize the unique skill sets of both urologists and medical oncologists because I, as a urologist, am not qualified nor trained to really manage all the risks that come along with uh, chemotherapy administration. Okay. What does the collaboration look like when you're treating a patient? Are they going back and forth or does it all happen at the same time together in the same room? Yeah, so I think the key to understand this is when most physicians train, a lot of them train in large academic medical centers or university hospitals where medical oncologists and urologists are working in the same building 
as part of the same kind of operational team. However, in the community where most of the patients with prostate cancer are being cared for, they're being cared for by providers in different practices and perhaps even across town from each other, which makes that communication and collaboration more essential. What we did in our local community was created a virtual tumor board once a week during the lunch hour to discuss the more complex cases in our community that may benefit from either treatment intensification with the addition of chemotherapy with that medical oncologist, or perhaps sometimes treatment de-escalation, maybe a patient that doesn't need those more aggressive therapies. And what we also did through that practice as we got to know each other more is learn that communication at the end of a clinic day can also be just as essential with a phone call or an email or a text, whichever works best for that physician care team in order to make sure that that patient knows their providers are discussing their care so that when a provider makes a recommendation, they can feel confident that the physicians are all within that care team agreeing with that plan so that plan can be safely enacted. And it also becomes essential in which provider is going to be managing the toxicity from that treatment? Who's going to be managing whether or not the treatment is working as well as we had hoped? We have to discuss who is going to be responsible for all those different roles and activities. That way that care can be transitioned smoothly between providers. Yeah, it sounds really complicated and like communication is absolutely key at every point of the way. So what advice would you give to healthcare professionals, perhaps here in Las Vegas, who might need to build a similar collaboration between themselves? Well, I think the most important thing is most of this starts with the urology office. That's where most of the diagnosis takes place. And so it's really on top of the patients and the, and the providers to try to seek out someone in their community who could also be a prostate cancer expert. And if you can find a local medical oncologist or a group of medical oncologists who have an interest in prostate cancer, reaching out to them with communication is, is fairly simple to then say, hey, can we share these patients? It's, it's fairly well known now with the recent trials showing the benefits of combination treatment. And it might not be right for every patient. So it's very important that any patients there in the Las Vegas area talk to their local care teams to see if, if it is worth them having a care team discussion around adding additional therapy. Because these sort of combinations are really not for every patient, but in the certain patients, it can make a big difference to have a qualified care team take care of you. Okay. Now, before we get to that point, what are some of the risk factors for prostate cancer and maybe some things that people could do to prevent getting prostate cancer? Unfortunately, there's not a lot of great information on prevention of prostate cancer. Uh, prostate cancer is a disease largely of aging, and with increased age comes increased risk. But thankfully, it is something that can be screened for fairly easily. Most of the screening for prostate cancer is done with a simple blood test, uh, PSA, or prostate-specific antigen. And most of the guidelines support starting that when you're 50 years old. Um, now, there are a couple factors that can increase your risk of lifetime diagnosis, such as men from African-American families or those with a family history of prostate or breast cancer. And if that is in your family, then typically the screening would typically start closer to 40 years of age. With a simple blood test, we can often identify men at risk, which can then be confirmed with a biopsy. Okay, and this is an annual screening that you recommend? Yes, ma'am. Typically, the screening is done with an annual blood test. Okay. So what advice do you have for patients who might want to better interact with their care team partners or find out more information about prostate cancer in general and the treatment options that you mentioned that are available now? 
I think if you're a patient with prostate cancer or you have a loved one who's also dealing with prostate cancer, the key is to ask your local care team, is treatment intensification right for me? Do I need to go seek out an opinion from someone else or is there somebody in your community that you trust that I can ask these questions to? That can be your primary care doctor, that can be your urologist, or if you have a medical oncologist, that can be your medical oncologist as well. And when would treatment intensification not be the right option? Well, treatment intensification also intensifies potential side effects. So we want to make sure that the treatment is appropriate based off of the other medical history that that person might have. But also we want to make sure that it's appropriate that those side effects justify the potential benefit of adding in further therapy. A lot of men with prostate cancer, even prostate cancer that has spread or become metastatic, that late phase disease, still don't need treatment intensification because they're going to do really, really well for many years to come. So it's the job of the physician care team to selectively select appropriate patients for that intensification with the addition of chemotherapy up front in that treatment course. Okay. So where could listeners go if they want to learn more about prostate cancer treatments, treatment intensification, and the various options that they have? Please just seek out that advice from your local care team, your local physician, again, whether that's your primary care doctor, your urologist, or your medical oncologist. Perfect. Okay. So if you have any questions about prostate cancer, seek your primary care physician. And if there's an issue, first of all, start the blood test screening at 50 years old, at 40 if you have higher risk factors. And if it turns out that you do have prostate cancer, ask your primary care professional about treatment intensification. And Dr. Morris and Dr. Garmazi, I want to thank you both so much for being here and letting us know more about prostate cancer and the treatment options that are available. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. In honor of all those we've lost to cancer and those still fighting and thriving, like basketball analyst and cancer champion Dick Vitale. I want to beat cancer. I'm going to beat it. That's no doubt in my mind. I'm going to win this battle. Defeating cancer will take all of us. Join our team to help fund game-changing research that saves lives. At the V Foundation, V is for victory over cancer. V is for victory over the odds. V is for victory over health disparities. Victory over setbacks. Victory over the unknown. V is for victory over giving up. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Join the V Foundation team and help save lives. Cancer can take away all my physical abilities. It cannot touch my mind, it cannot touch my heart, and it cannot touch my soul. Join our team in the fight against cancer at V.org. I'm Heather Vale with the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and this is your community events calendar for nonprofit initiatives and charity events around the Valley. Boys and Girls Clubs of Southern Nevada has started its after-school programming for the year every weekday from 2 to 7 p.m. at all 13 of its clubs. Before-school programming is also available at three clubs on Mondays through Fridays from 6.30 to 9 a.m. Find out more or choose a location at bgcsnv.org. That stands for Boys and Girls Clubs of Southern Nevada, bgcsnv.org. 
Monday's Dark with Mark Chinook is a bi-monthly musical fundraising party at The Space, with each event raising $10,000 for a specific charity in 90 minutes. Upcoming shows include Monday, August 21st at 8 p.m., benefiting Project Real, and Monday, September 11th at 8 p.m., benefiting the Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance. Get tickets or find out more details at mondaysdark.com. That's mondaysdark.com. Foreclosed Upon Pets, Inc., or Fuppy, is holding their 15th annual fundraiser on Saturday, August 26, from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Meadow School, 8601 Scholar Lane, which is Rampart and Lake Mead. Tickets are only $45, payable at the door. You can also find out more at foreclosedupon.pets.org. That's foreclosedupon.pets.org. Or on Facebook at Fuppy Las Vegas, F-U-P-I Las Vegas, facebook.com slash Fuppy Las Vegas. Aid for AIDS of Nevada, or AFAN, is holding the 37th annual Black and White Party on Saturday, September 9th, starting at 8 p.m. at the Palms Casino Resort, Soak Pool, and Chaos Nightclub. This annual fundraiser promises lively entertainment, food and beverage, a secret red door, and a black and white dress code that encourages you to wear as much black and white as possible or as little as you can get away with. Proceeds provide support and advocacy for adults and children living with and affected by HIV-AIDS in Southern Nevada. Get your tickets or find out more at afanlv.org. A-F-A-N-L-V.org. AFANLV.org. And the Shade Trees Once Upon a Gala fundraising event is happening Thursday, October 12th at 7 p.m. with the VIP Secret Garden Soiree starting at 5.30 in the Zook Nightclub at Resorts World Las Vegas. This fairy tale inspired event includes a live and silent auction, and all proceeds benefit the Shade Trees mission to provide safe shelter to domestic violence and human trafficking survivors and their children. And they're also looking for donations of luggage, duffel bags, and backpacks for their current luggage drive. Get your gala tickets, make a donation, or find out more at theshadetree.org. That's theshadetree.org. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 